Thank you, Jesus. What a beautiful space, beautiful environment. Um, it's messing me up a little bit. Anyway, um, man, it's so good to be together. It's good to see you. I'm not transitioning out of that space. We are right there. Holy Spirit is not connected to the E-cord. Um, he is so beautiful. He's in the laughing. He's in the fellowship. He's in the connecting. He's in the weeping. He's in all of it, and he's right here. He's so close. Um, anyway, I am, if you don't know who I am, if you're new, if you're visiting, my name is Connor. I have the privilege of leading the team that leads this house, and uh, we are in such a beautiful time as a family. We're we're in this swirly, wild, prophetic timeline as a church. Um, if you don't know our story, if you're like, you just kind of come in and it's a very new space for you, we uh, have been going for 18 years in our 19th year, are we? Yeah, wow. Um, and uh, my, my mom and dad started the church 18 years ago. Uh, myself and my wife, Jess, uh, took over. Uh, about a couple of months, six months ago. Um, and so it's been an absolutely crazy journey. We moved from a farmhouse up the road. We were in a little farmhouse. How many were in the farmhouse with us? A lot of us. Good. Remember being packed and crammed into that little room? So I love those times, but we're starting to get a bit, a bit cramped. We were in this farmhouse, and, uh, and the Lord began to just do this amazing work in our community. We've the Lord opened an opportunity for us to move into this space. And as you can see, we have space. And so we're growing into it, settling into it. Uh, but it's such a joy because we're getting to see the momentum of God on the house. We're getting to see God do something that is way beyond our wildest dreams. I want to just say to you this morning, one of the most encouraging things to my heart is when, when I got offered this venue, we were looking around. I looked at over 30 venues. And every time they found out we were a church, it was like, heck no, no ways. You know, and I was so sad because I was like, there's been such a bad taste out there, such bad experiences with the church that they just didn't want to take churches. But because we had actually rented in some of these parks in the past, when they found out it was us, they were amazed and they were like, hey, we know your testimony. You've done this before. You know, you have credibility. We'll take you guys. Like, that's okay. And then I found out the price and I nearly had a heart attack. And I was like, Lord, this is the only venue that opened to us. 30 other venues, more than 30 other venues, closed the doors on us. What are we going to do? What's going to happen? And I'm looking at this price and I'm negotiating. And over a period of like a couple months, it's back and forth, back and forth. In fact, I remember I, the day I wanted to sign, I was like, I'm going to do it. We're just going to have faith. I come to sign. They're like, oh, sorry, it's actually gone to someone else. And I was like, oh. So I ended up going to, to uh, Eurasia on a mission trip. And I just let it go. I was like, okay, Lord, we're just going to be that farmhouse people, that crazy, packed in there, sweaty, we can smell each other. You know, it's just, it's, it's awkward. Um, and we're just going to be that church. It's fine. And then got back from, from uh, the Middle East and get this phone call like, hey, actually, it's still available. Are you still interested? And so I just went through this like roller coaster of emotions. But the second time was more scary for me. Because I'd already got my faith up and I was like, okay, no, I think we can make this jump. It's going to be okay. And then the second time I was like, wait a second. You know, this is actually a big deal. And so we prayed. We got our team together. We began to just seek the Lord. And, uh, and when the Lord said jump, we jumped. And from the first month, I just want to encourage you. I don't know. This is, this is purely Jesus. I don't know where it's all coming from. We have more than doubled our financial income over the space of a month. So thank you. <laughs> um, and I don't know if it's like angels also just chipping in because there are like, I don't, I don't know where it's coming from, but it's supernatural. And we have been able, to, we had to double, more than double our rent to be in this space. We've paid the bills every single month, covered all our costs, 
and are able to sow into the nations every single month. So this house is on fire, man. Let me tell you, I'm like, Jesus, what you can do with a handful of hungry people who are desperate to say yes to Jesus, who want to follow Jesus, who believe in what we're doing together as a family. Um, if we are doing anything other than being the church, if we're, if we're playing church instead of being the church, we're wasting our time. Honestly, I have no desire to lead a successful church. Right? Thank you. <laughs> I, I'll tell you why, because my plan wasn't to lead a church. My plan was to move to the Middle East and serve the lost, those who'd never heard the name of Jesus. And then the Lord said, stay and build a community that'll do that. And so we wrestled with that for a while. I had to do a 21-day fast just to settle that. I didn't want to do it. But just to see, I actually love you. I love pastoring. I love, I promise, I'm just, I, I love it now. I'm just saying back then, you know. But yeah, good save. My point is, we're not pursuing certain metrics of success like filling auditoriums and rooms and whatever. That's the byproduct of the gospel. Jesus will do that. What we want to see is people's hearts and lives touched and changed by the gospel of Jesus, by the good news of what he's done. We want to see people filled with God because the byproduct of that is we actually become the church. We actually become a people of impact. We actually become a people that are carrying the glory of God everywhere that we go. Amen? I can say it in like South African terms, like we didn't come here to muck around. We're in, we're invested, we're, we're, this is it, right? And I don't have anything else to give my life to. I tried for a long time, different things, and realized that I have encountered the man, seen him, and it doesn't matter where you put me, whether you would have put me in business, put me in the nations, put me anywhere, I know what I'd live for because it's just in me now. It's, it's. And so if you ever experience that crazy look in my eye, that's what it is. And I'm loving the fact that I'm seeing it in your eyes more and more and more. We're, we're becoming a community that are saying, we're giving ourselves to this thing. We're going to say, yes, God actually has a dream. You weren't made for your dream, you were made for His. Your dream will never satisfy you. The comforts of this life, material possessions, all those things will never satisfy you. Never. Promise. Because the thing is, it might for a moment, and then you feel empty again. And so I want to ask you this question. What are you giving your life to every single day? What are you investing your time, your emotions, your thoughts? Because I guarantee you, we live in Joburg. Most of you live in high-pressure job environments, work environments. Most of us. Whether it's you know, something more chilled. It's still, in Joburg, things are intense. The culture of this city is high pressure, go, 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 make money, and then make sure you book those dates for holiday and get out of here, right? Like, when people ask me about Joburg, they're like, so tell me about Joburg. I'm like, well, I don't know what to say other than that there's just this crazy culture of go make money, go make money, be successful. That's what, no one comes to Joburg on holiday, right? But I remember my dear friend from the, from the States, he said something to me so profound. He said, Describe your city to me. And so I'm like, well, it's the city of gold. You know, this is why the city was, was birthed and it was to do with, they found gold. And so it's money driven. And you know what he said to me? He's like, ah, it sounds like a resourcing city. And I was like, ooh, I like that. And I began to lean into that with the Lord. And, and I believe the prophetic promise over Johannesburg is it's a resourcing city to the nations. Uh, to our nation, but also to the nations of the earth. It's a sending city. We have the biggest airport in South Africa and we have all the money. I think the church has a mandate and a responsibility to take advantage of that for the kingdom. Amen? Um, I got two, two sermons in my head, so I'm like, I, I walk this way and I'm thinking I'm going to do one thing and then I walk the other way. Um, you need to start praying in tongues for me right now. 
we're a family and we're, we're given to what he's doing, right? Um, and so what are you giving your life to every single day? Because I just want to say this, I'm journeying with so many of us, a lot of you, I'm, we're meeting, we're having coffees, we're processing stuff. And the, the, the common theme and the common thread that I'm seeing is there is so much pressure that's coming from every angle of our lives. It's coming from work, it's coming from relationships, it's coming from all these things. And what it's trying to do is take our eyes off of the one thing. It's trying to take our gaze, it's trying to take our perspective from the one thing that we're given to, it's Christ. It's Him. Our lives are designed and wired to live for Jesus. Amen? Do you know what stress is? Stress is when we have decisions to make that we're not making or we're too afraid to make them. That's what stress is. And most of us live in that tension because we're afraid. And so last week I... I, spoke about out of 1 Kings 19 just with Elijah and he ends up on the mountain of the Lord and he's in the cave and, and the Lord passes by and there's fire and there's an earthquake and there's wind and there's this, this crazy external expression and, and yet none of that draws Elijah out of the cave. And then the whisper. In fact, the, the correct translation if you look at it is actually the sound of silence draws Elijah out of the cave to respond to God. And it's because what a troubled soul, what a stressed soul, what a fearful soul will respond to is the stillness and the whisper of heaven. And so I think sometimes what we do, especially in, in the Western expression, is that we think that in order to keep going, I need to pretend that the hype is there. I am awesome. I'm buzzing. I'm amazing. I'm just, you know, following the gospel. Everything's good. Everything's fine. But then you go home, weep, have a panic attack, and no one knows. Then you pick yourself up on Monday and you're like, no, I can, I'm going to keep going, keep going, keep going. And I think there's come this, this slightly wrong perspective, if I can word it like that, when we preach the gospel where we say like, the gospel is just about, you know, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Yes, it is. But what that doesn't mean is God doesn't care about your heart. Right? The gospel is so real, it's so personal, it's so tangible for your life. That Jesus is saying, my gospel is not a copy and paste message that you apply to your life. My gospel is the thing that's going to transform and change your heart. My grace is sufficient in your weakness. When you receive the grace of God, the mercy of God, I'm actually going to take your heart and I'm going to kiss it with the Father's kiss. I'm going to take your heart and I'm going to mold it and shape it and touch it and move it. And unless we can get to a place with God where in His grace we feel free to open and abandon ourselves to that touch, then what we do is we live with a message on our lips, but our hearts are far from the reality of that message. And I see it so often. And, you know, I have, because I'm very passionate about preaching the grace of God, I, I get uh, accusation and things that come my way, and, and often people will say, you know, you're, you're just making it easy for people to stay in sin. You're just giving people a license to sin. And it's just, it's so not what I'm saying. It's just so not the gospel. That's not the grace of God that I'm, I'm preaching and that we believe as a house. But what I am saying is this, can you stop making it about what God took the emphasis off? We want to put the emphasis on sin and God's like, what do you think I did when I brutally crucified and, and, and killed my son as a substitutionary sacrifice for you? I dealt with the sin thing. Can I say it like this? Reinhard Bonnke, I love that man. He said this. He said, um, you don't go to hell because you're a sinner. I was like, oh, pretty, 
Mm, Ronald Monkey, we should chat. He says, no, you don't go to hell just because you're a sinner. Like, we're all sinners. Think about this for a second. We're all sinners. The difference, I love this. The difference is your own attempt to be like him or receive the all-sufficiency of Jesus. You see it in the garden. All have fallen short of the glory, right? So the grace of God is so beautiful that it picks you up from that place and it doesn't leave you there. It doesn't leave you a sinner. You become saint, not because you earned it, but because you're in Christ. And that one thing, just to be in Christ, is enough. And I think where we've got stuck as the church is that we have perpetuated a cycle of believing and a belief system, a thinking pattern that's sin conscious. And it keeps us stuck in our own attempts to be better. And so what happens is that affects every area of our life where now your view of everything is right and wrong. Your view of circumstance and situation, the only way I can receive God or understand God coming through for me is if it's right or wrong. Did the situation get better or worse? And that's how I begin to measure God. And the funny thing is, when you stand before Jesus, He's not going to bring up the situations and circumstances. He's going to look at your heart. The situation and circumstances of life, the seasons of life will fall away. And what will be stand, standing left is your heart and what you did with the gospel. What you did with the love of God. Did you actually believe that what He did was enough? Do you know what a life that believes that looks like? You will tell people about the good news of the gospel. It will explode and overflow from your life because you know like you know like you know that He's just that good. You know, when, if we have to have conversations about giftings and callings and introvert and extrovert and if I, I'm called to that or not called to that, again, I think it's a sin-conscious mind because I'm so afraid of getting it wrong and so I don't know if I'm doing it right and so I don't know if I should share or shouldn't share. And actually the reason why I'm shy is because I'm so aware of my sin nature that I don't even know Christ in me. And then you, on the other side, you've got extroverts that are just so crazy, wild, and bold, and they're not even sensitive to Christ in them because Jesus isn't an extrovert, and He's not an introvert. He's love. And so can you see the difference? If we took the emphasis of all the stuff and just said, what would it be like to be love? Because love can be like Jesus walking down the street and just smiling at somebody, not drawing attention to Himself, but He can also be the guy who stands up at the feast and goes, if anyone's thirsty... Come to me. Like, that's a public spectacle. So which one is it? It's not one or the other. It's love. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Our hope is Christ. Our hope is not our best attempt at the gospel. <laughs> the, the, the future of the church, the hope that the church is called to live in, is not a hope that's found in what we think we're going to achieve. I love in, in Song of Songs that the, the bride comes out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved. That's our picture of victory. I'm that guy. I'm leaning on Jesus. He's carrying all the weight. Like, I just, if you picture that, I'm like holding on to him and my feet are dragging. And he's going, I'm like, we won. <laughs> it wasn't me. It was him. But I'm with him. What does a life of victory look like? What does a life of victory in today's age look like? I don't think it looks like everything goes well for you. Because if everything's going well for you, I'm not sure you're following Jesus. See, the reality is we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken humanity. And we live in situation and circumstance with an enemy who hates what you are. 
And so, so we, we know that difficulties and hard times are going to come. The Bible promises it to us. It's like hardships coming, right? But the beautiful thing is that in the midst of the storm, it's Christ in me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And I know that in the midst of that, Jesus is going to be made known. He's going to be revealed. He's going to be manifest. He's the one who sustains me, who holds me. He's, he's my endurance. He's how I get through the seasons. What if victory looks like shining in the midst of difficulty? What if victory looks like you can't take what you didn't give me? If, if, if the world didn't give you joy, how can they take it? It's not theirs. It's the Lord's joy. Uh, I mean, thinking back to sermons from years ago, you know, if you didn't accept me, who cares if you reject me? Like, I found my acceptance in the Father. You can't, you can't reject me if I'm already accepted. You reject me, it's too late, so I'm already accepted. The victorious life, it just looks so different because you know what's beautiful about those people? They are more than happy to take the low place. They're, 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 it's their joy to go low. It's their joy to, like suffering for Jesus is a privilege. I think I touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but where is the breed of Christians like the early church where martyrdom was like the goal of life? Like right now, that's offensive to the Western church. It's like, what are you talking about? Why would that be the goal of my life? Well, I just find it incredible that the, the, the opportunity to, to pay the ultimate sacrifice that I would die for Christ in the early church was like, what a, what a dream. Ignatius writes, um, when he's being taken to the lions, he's going to be fed to the lions. He writes, oh, how I long for the lions. He writes in his letter that when the, the lions break my bones, it'll be like the body of Christ being broken for his bride. He writes to the, the church, he's like, please don't try to rescue me. It's wild, right? The apostle Andrew, I touched on this as well, gets dragged to the X cross where he's going to be killed and, and crucified on it. And, and history records that while he's being taken towards this cross, he cries out and he says, oh, how I have longed for the cross. For the closer I am to the cross, the closer I am to Christ. So now that, that offends your mind, and that's good. It should offend our mind. We need, we need to offend our mind so we can receive the mind of Christ. We need to get free from the worldly stuff that we've caused or the worldly metrics that we've uh, measured the value of life by. I promise you, none of your stuff, none of your things, none of what you've built in your empire on the earth, none of those things is going to count in the kingdom of heaven. But your heart before Jesus, that's what he paid for. This is a kingdom of hearts. And so right now, I believe the Lord is setting 24-7 up to be a church in the city, for the city, and for the nations. That God is saying, actually, what I want to do through a community that will just yield to me and say, yes, is I want to demonstrate, reveal, and make known my dream, my heart, and the fullness of everything that I paid for. And it doesn't look like Christians giving their best attempt. It actually looks like very real, authentic people that have a gospel that's truth, that have the living God inside of them. And the story is, it's only Him. The story that the church needs to be communicating is, it's only Him. Are you with me? It's like we, we can't get wrapped up in this thing of, well, if you do these things, and if you come and go through this process, and if you go through this discipleship pattern, and this mo method and module, and whatever, this is how you get to this. Or this school, if you've done this school, you're okay. And if you, if you haven't done that, you need to do it. And No, listen, it's only Him. 
We have a responsibility as the bride of Christ to be the greatest storytellers in history. But it's not our story. It's His story. And God wants to tell His story through your life. So let me give you an example. Go and study characters in the Bible, and here's what you're going to see. It's God's master plan story again and again and again and again through different lives. Do it. I promise you. I, I challenge you. Go study your Bible. It blows your mind. Because all the, all the ones that we respect, you know, you can look and, and say, okay, let's look at the heroes of the faith. Moses, murderer, breaks the law and marries a woman he is not allowed to marry. And God says, I speak to him face to face as a friend speaks to a friend. And you go, but, but, but he gave the law to Moses and Moses had this responsibility to communicate the law, yet Moses wasn't even fulfilling it. So now you go, so how, how, is this, how is that possible? This is why when I've taught on grace, I'm going, please just look at the scriptures. You can clearly see God never gave us the law as the standard that we were called to meet. It was to reveal to us our need for Christ. Because right from the beginning, he didn't create Adam with law. He created Adam in his image. He said, I made you like me. Live like me. That's what he's bringing us back to, right? But think about it. There's Moses. I'm like, wow, David. David astounds me. I study the life of David. I'm like, this guy just couldn't seem to get it right most of the time, right? He had this wild lover's heart. This is David. He's just like, I mean, he becomes king and he's going, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get the ark. We're going to go find it in a field and we're going to put on the greatest show that Israel's ever seen and we're going to usher this back into the center of the nation. And then his buddy gets killed because he does it wrong. And he's like, panicking, freaking out, put it in Obed-Edom's house. What the heck, God? Three months of just like, I don't understand what's going on. Lord, I love you, and I'm terrified of you. And he's, I love David. He has no idea what he's doing. He's just like, I love you, Jesus. I'm just trying to follow you. And, and he's the king of the nation, right? Imagine people going like, does this guy even know what's happening? And then, and then this is wild. He, he puts it on, on Mount Zion. He doesn't even take it back to where it was in Moses' tabernacle. He puts it on Mount Zion in a tent. And then after Israel saw that Uzzah had been killed for touching it, he then welcomes all of Israel and says, come, we're going to dance around the presence. Like, I'm telling you, if you were part of David's kingdom, you'd be like, this king has no cooking clue. He's lost his mind. First he killed Uzzah because he did it wrong. Now he wants to invite us all to come and do it wrong. But he's got this heart. He's like, I know God's heart. I know that he loves us. I know that he wants us close. I know his design for us. And, and then you think, like, here's David. He writes in Psalm 63, I, I beheld him in, in the sanctuary. I beheld his power in the sanctuary. It's like David was living this life in the presence of God, beholding him. He was beginning to see something that he was trying to replicate on the earth. His life was in pursuit of seeing the dream of God established on the earth. He didn't fully understand it. He didn't have it all figured out. But he was like, I'm given to this one thing. Until I see that on the earth, this is what I'll give my life for. Right? And so he's doing this, and then he takes taxpayers' money, and he employs thousands of musicians. But we have a problem if the pastor gets a salary. I was just throwing that one on the side. <laughs> but think about this. Imagine, imagine what, can you imagine the, the violence in South Africa if we found out that our president employed over 4,000 musicians to just sing and worship God every day? People, there would be outrage. Be like, so can you see the boldness of David? He's like, we're going to spend millions 
on making sure that Jesus is worshipped in our nation. We're going to put his government right at the center. He's this bold lover. That's David, right? I mean, even just think the 17-year-old who comes before he's even king, and he hears that there's this giant guy, this tall dude, who's like insulting God. And it bothers him. I love this. Just, just think about this. A 17-year-old, my youngest sister's 17. So I look at her, I'm like, even her boyfriend, I'm like, there's nothing, he's a smaller dude, you know? So it's like, I love him to bits, but like he's, and I'm like, that guy walks up onto the, like comes up to bring some cheese to his bros, gets there, and then finds out like there's this big dude who's been sitting in the valley for three days crying out and insulting our God, and no one here in the thousands of, of proper soldier dudes, muscular dudes, is doing anything about it. And David walks in as a 17-year-old, and he's like, I'm sorry, is, are we just going to let this guy keep doing that? That's my God. Can you see the lover in David? David's just like, ah, I'll give everything. I, I'm, give, me, give me something. I'll run into that valley. I'm going to take that guy down. So again, can you see God's telling this story through, through very normal, weak people. But he's telling the story of God over and over again. So David goes in and man tries to put, Saul tries to put his armor on him. David doesn't fit the way that seems right to a man, but it's end is destruction. Like, we, we have all these things that we think need to happen, and David takes five stones. Like, just think about this. Different perspective. David walks, and he picks up five stones. He goes, yeah, that'll be enough. Have you seen the guy? Like, don't you want to have, like, you know, an extra stone in the back in your sock, and, like, you know, maybe, like, a, a knife and a screwdriver in your sock, and, like, just a couple things in case you got it just, you know. No, five stones in a sling. He's like, let's go. And then he has this confidence because he's been somewhere. Think about this. He's been somewhere. David has nothing. He's got nothing to offer except this. I've been in the field where no one even thought about me except God. And then he comes, walks out there and just goes like, hey, buddy, I just want to remind you, you didn't actually just come against Israel. You just came against my God. And he's actually with me, so I'm going to cut your head off. Uh, the, the, I mean, we would go like the audacity. A 17-year-old crazy kid. No, he... What did he have in him? He understood his need for Jesus. He understood that he had seen the bear and the lion killed. Why? Because God was with him. And he was just looking after sheep. So you look at David. He's still the guy who, by the way, when he's king, is sitting on the rooftop and then sees, um, what's her name? Bathsheba. And it's like, damn. <laughs> king David. Sorry. Whoa. <laughs> David was not a malicious, trying to cause trouble, messed up guy. He wasn't that. He was a man who had to journey things like being rejected by his father. He was a man who had to process being rejected by his brothers, being insulted, being hunted down, attacked, and People try to kill him. Saul tried to kill him. The man that he served. You know, the things he journeyed as king. Like David makes these crazy mistakes. Why? Because he's, he's a man. He's, he's a human being. <laughs> but there's something about the supernatural God in man that does the most extraordinary things. And so once again, God tells his story and goes, David's actually a man after my own heart. And you go like, Lord, that makes no sense. Like he, I mean, he even when he's, when he's being chased and hunted, he goes in and he eats the, the showbread and the, 
you know, he breaks all the laws of like priestly things. Even when he, when he takes the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant back, he puts on the priestly clothing. He's not a Levite. He's not allowed to do that, but he does it. So looking at these guys, David, and then even for me, I just, I love in the New Testament, it's like, you know, we, we talk about Paul and we go, wow, this incredible giant of the faith. Absolutely. But just remember where he came from. Like God has this deep desire in his heart to take the most broken, messed up things and make something beautiful out of it. And so what is he doing? Over and over again, he's telling the story of God. So why is it that as a church, we think it's our responsibility to make people aware of their shortcomings and failures? When we see a story in the Bible where God, he, man is already aware of it. God doesn't even need to point it out. He gave us the law. He's like, you can see it doesn't work. You need me. And so he takes great joy in saying, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Let me do what I do. Let me be your God. So many of you are in situations and circumstances where the only hope is God. But what we're doing is we're measuring everything based on right and wrong. We're measuring it, you know, based on what people will think, the opinions of man, the opinions of others, my own opinion of myself. And the reality is we've got to let all those things go and just say there's only one thing. One thing that's necessary. One thing that's required. Choose the good portion just to be His. Sit at His feet. Love Him. Receive Him. Let Him love you. Let Him fill you. You get what I'm saying? This is how we become the greatest storytellers ever is because our lives are becoming living letters of the gospel. People should look at our lives and not go, well, it's really great that you finally started going to church and getting your life together. Majority of the time, that's our story. Oh, no, buddy, I don't drink anymore because I, I started going back to church. Well done. That's really great. Those are good things, like high five. But if that's the story, like that's just so surface level. But when the story is like, I'm sorry, who, who, are you, who? no ways, that can't be you, look at your, you used to be this, and now you're this, how did this happen, your life is starting to speak this thing of like, I was one thing, then I died in Christ, was raised again in him, and I'm another thing, I was completely recreated, I was reshaped, my life is different, my life is speaking, and the thing is, when I'm found in Jesus, I'm not afraid of that testimony and story of my life. I'm okay with people being offended by the transforming power of God in my life. I'm okay with it because I'm also offended by it. I also can't believe it. This is the gospel. This is the story of God coming alive, the dream of God alive in our hearts and lives. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm just trying to encourage you this morning. When we say deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me, if that sounds like work, we've missed the gospel. Do you get what I'm saying? If, if, if the gospel, dying to myself, I'm crucified with Christ, like, oh, okay, I've got to crucify my flesh, I've got to, and my perspective is somehow I've got to strain to do this in order for me to get there. Can you see what's wrong with this? But if it's like, thank God, Connor Blair Lauder, outside of Christ, he's dead, and I can deny him. I don't want that guy. I want Christ. That joy of like, I receive the nature of Jesus. I receive the love of God. I'm found in Him. I'm secure in Him. I'm established in Him. Thank you, Jesus. Because the reality is, I no longer look at my shortcomings and failures anymore. My eyes are fixed on Him. And the more my eyes are fixed on Him, the more I'm beginning to live in what He's called me to live in. 
But so many people have the most shallow Christian experience because I, I, I see Him and I want that, but I'm still more conscious of where I am than who I am in Him. Do you get what I'm saying? And so we live in that strain of like the disconnect between what you said you've given me, which I believe is true. I just don't believe that I'm actually there. Like think about Jesus. Oh, do you know what I was going to preach on today? Supernatural finances. <laughs> this is going so well. It would have been the first time I've ever preached on money. So, um. In the garden, God makes his intentions with man very clear. Just think about this. In, in, in the Middle East and in the Eastern world, it's, it's just common knowledge. You, you, you're, you grow up with this worldview that if a creator or a creative being creates something that he says he's in, it's created for himself, right? Like in the West, we would go like, no, God created the earth for us. That's our perspective. Our worldview kind of shapes that. We would go like, no, God created this so that we could, you know, it's our playground. We could kind of do things here. No, actually in the East, it's not seen like that. The earth is actually seen as like a sanctuary. It's like God, God the, cre the creator, created something that he wanted to be in. The one who exists everywhere wants to be somewhere, right? You get that. Like he wants to have a, a specific place that he manifests his glory. You get this. So in the beginning, when God creates the earth, then he creates an environment on the earth that he dwells in. Because there's a garden and then there's Eden. Eden is the environment, there's a garden in Eden. And he creates man and then tells man to tend to that garden, to actually guard that space, protect the environment that God wants to dwell in. And then he walks with man in the cool of the day. Like, nowhere in there was there a conversation between God and man going like, right, so I've given you everything you need to have your best shot at being like me. Ready, set, off you go. Let's see what you can do. It's just not there. God did not have that in his heart and mind when he created man. Like, if you could just let this one thing sink in today. You were not created or designed or wired to prove yourself to God or yourself or anyone. It's crippling us. God never made us and then said, Kate, show me what you got. He didn't do it. He created man and he went, I like you. You look like me. I've put everything that you need to be mine. It's in you. It's there. Let's walk together. God created man with the intention of intimacy, with the intention of relationship. He's still God. He's still king. He's still the holy one, the righteous one. You know, if he was to come and manifest his glory here, we'd all be on the floor. He's 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 wonderful. But he wants to walk with me. Why would he put his spirit inside of me if he didn't want to be with me? If he was upset with me, why would he put himself inside me? So he makes his statement to man very clear. I want to be with you. And he puts two trees in the garden. I remember God was not shocked at man's choice. The garden was an introduction. There's a garden in the beginning and there's one at the end. And that's the one we're getting to. But the beginning, Eden... Is God introducing to man? He's like, I want to show you. Here's my statement of intent. I want to be with you. And I'm going to put two trees in the garden because I want you to understand something. I'm about to take mankind on a journey. It's called the master plan of heaven. It's called the story of redemption. It's called the story of God. And he says, there's two trees. And I want you 
to understand that in your life, there's going to be two things. You have to have the freedom to choose love in order to love. If you don't get to choose to love, it's not love. You can even take an arranged marriage. It won't last if they don't choose to love. You have to choose. It's a choice. Right? So God says, man, I want to teach you something about love. Love requires choice. So here's two trees. One is your attempt and one is mine. One works, one doesn't. Make a choice. And he knew that we were <laughs> going to choose our own attempt. And this is why it's so interesting that, you know, God doesn't oppose sinners. But he does oppose the proud. Think about that for a second. So he, he puts man in the garden. And let me, just, let me just say it very bluntly. It was a decision. I can do it my way. Oh, I need Jesus. It was humility and it was pride. That was the decision. It was so simple. And man said, I can do it. Because it's interesting that the way the enemy brings the accusation and the question is, um, you know, actually if you eat of this, you'll be like God. But they were made in his image. She, they were already like him. <laughs> but the thought came in like, oh, but if I, could, if I could really be in control, if I could know, what he knows. If I could, you get what I'm saying? And so they eat of the wrong tree, the fall comes, and God takes man on this journey. And he begins to introduce them to concepts. First one, the law. God introduces the law. Why? He introduces the law to show them because he invited all of Israel up the mountain and said, come, I want, I've made you a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests. I want you to come up and be with me on the mountain, Mount Sinai. And Israel looked at the glory, the thunder and the clouds, and they said, no way. That's terrifying. Let's send Moses up, see if he lives. Right? And we laugh and we go like, yeah, this is crazy Israelites, whatever. You do it every Sunday. <laughs> Not all of you, some of you. Because <laughs> we do this. We go like, no, no, the, if the pastor just goes and hears that message from God, I'm coming on Sunday to hear that. And if it's not good enough, then I have questions. What did you do this week, buddy? I don't actually, the worship just didn't feel good. The sermon just didn't really land where my life is at right now. So, and that's just not the church, right? We're here for Jesus. We're here to minister to him. But it's interesting. So he, so he invites them up. They say no. They send Moses up. God gives the law because the Israelites say, you go, Moses. You ask God what he wants from us, and then we'll do it. Come back and tell us. Once again, we'll prove ourselves to God and missing the whole point. God just wants to be with us. Takes us on a journey. You see guys like David. I just spoke about him. There's a guy who's living under the law of Moses, yet he's accessed the grace of God. How is that possible? There's different covenants. He's not. David began to operate under, the, under Abraham's covenant, which was God just walked up to Abraham before the law even existed and said, Hey, Abraham, I like you. You're blessed. And Abraham said, I believe. And, and God said, I like this guy. We're going to be friends. And we're going to walk together. And we're actually, you, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to make you... Abraham, I mean, the father of the faith, just because God said, I like you. But then we get to this point where there's, because of the law, there's substitutionary sacrifices. They, once a year, they, they kill an animal as a substitutionary sacrifice for their sins, atonement for their sins. Now you go, why did God do that? Well, guess what? How do we understand that Jesus could die for us in our place? How do we even have a grid reference for a substitutionary sacrifice? God took, 
couple hundred, maybe thousand years to actually teach us that. And go like, I want to show you that what you need is not your own strength. What you need is someone to take your place. And so then Jesus does it, and he doesn't just do it temporarily, or he doesn't just do a quick fix or an upgrade. He completely changes all of history, and he introduces the fullness of God's dream, which is this. You die with him. Everything that makes you broken in your humanity dies with Christ. You come alive. You're resurrected in his power, in his life, filled with his Holy Spirit to be who he's called you to be. Not just to carry the title of saved, but to actually look like someone who is. To actually carry the Spirit of God inside of you. Now you're not just called son, you live like, like a son. Your life is changing because the Spirit of God is inside of you. So Jesus introduces this, and then, this is wild, he leaves. <laughs> Once again, God's desire is he refuses to do anything apart from us. How does that make sense? Let's go back to the beginning. God creates man, he goes, I want to walk with you. So why does Jesus now go, okay, I've done it. I've put the Spirit of God inside of you. Adios. See you in a while. And he leaves. Why? Because he's saying, now what I'm going to do is begin to teach you how to walk with me. I'm going to begin to prepare you how to be my bride. Now we go on the journey of getting dressed for a wedding. Now the church, for however long as the Lord sees fit, takes us on a journey of preparing his body, preparing his bride to be the ones who understand what it means to have the Spirit of God inside of us, to live the life that he's called us to live, to co-labor and partner with him to see his dream established on the earth. And when he returns, we're going to have this incredible celebration of the fullness of his dream. Because we have been redeemed, but the plan of redemption is still being outworked. You get this? And so Jesus is coming back. We were singing about it. We get, there's going to be a wedding. It's the reason I'm living, to marry the lamb. Some of us are sitting here like, what kind of church would I come to? Marrying a lamb and like, right? But the, it's true. It's, it's the reality is that we're going to get married to Jesus. We are married to him and we're getting married to him. We're living in this beautiful tension where he's preparing his bride. The Spirit of God is preparing the church, preparing the bride to be, number one, uh, image bearers of God on the earth now, but also that for all of eternity, we will understand what it means to be intimate with him. I don't want to get to eternity and go, I am shocked. I didn't know this is how it worked. Right? I don't want to get to heaven and go, oh my goodness, you like me? I was just hanging on by a thread, hoping that I'd get to scrape in. I want to get to heaven and go like, I know you. Like now I see you, but I saw you. So the story of God right now is being lived out through the church. And it's why we have to be so careful. It's not your job to criticize. It's not your job to have an opinion. It's not your job to slap the bride. You can't love Jesus and slap his bride. Right? It's just you're playing with your life. And so if we live this gospel, if you, if you listen, I mean, so much of what I'm saying, I'm just, I'm talking what's in this Bible. Like we could, if I had more time, we'll just go through like 15 scriptures. But to make it legal, I will pull one out in a second. Um, but just think about this. If we lived with this perspective, if we lived with this gospel alive in our hearts, in the midst of pain, 
in the midst of situation and circumstance, in the midst of pressure, because pressure is coming, in the midst of all these things, we are able to rise above it because it cannot take a hold of who I am in Christ. It cannot take away from me what I found in Him. I have a story to tell, and I'm living my life for that reason. I've never met a man or woman who has ever trusted God and been let down. And you go like, some, some, some people in the room are going like, well, let me introduce you to him. <laughs> right? And I just challenge you. I just challenge you. I say, let me talk to you about trust. Let me talk to you about what that means. Let me talk to you about what that looks like. Because you go like, well, I asked God to come through for me. He didn't. And so I had to do this and this and this. I'm like, so you were already, plan B was in action while you were waiting for him to fulfill plan A. And did God even give you plan A? Or was that your plan that you asked him to do? Do you get what I'm saying? There's never been a man or woman who has truly trusted God, abandoned themselves to the Lord, that's been let down. He's faithful. It's not in his nature to disappoint you. When we feel disappointed in God, it didn't come from him. It came from our perspective and perception of who he is. We need the gospel in our hearts. We need the gospel in our lives, right? I hope something is landing because this is not supernatural finances. I'm trying to find language for something right now in my heart. I'm just letting you into my world. The potential of the church in this hour, I want you to hear what I'm saying. The potential, in fact, I'm going to zoom in even more. The potential of 24-7 church right now is wilder than anything you can actually comprehend or imagine. The potential of what God wants to do through His house. It's unfathomable. It's like we, and, and, and yet, it's almost like if we could just get past the whole selfish thing. If we could just get over the whole pride thing and just go, actually, what a joy to be invested and connected to the family of God, to be living for His dream, to be alive in the gospel. And, and yes, God gives me spheres of influence, my job, my workplace, whatever. If those things are taking away from the one thing, you need to reassess your life. Like, we don't have time to play around. I don't actually have the time to say to you, like, well, we should have a coffee and let's chat, and maybe I can just give you some tools on how to slowly start moving away from that. I'm saying, listen to me. You need to reassess your life. You need to make decisions in your heart and go, like, what am I going to give myself to you? Because our life is but a vapor. We're here today and gone tomorrow. Tomorrow is not promised, so what am I alive for today? And, and those, this is so funny. The world has taken that stuff and made it, like, the thing you put on the t-shirt about the grind, you know? It's like, you know, tomorrow's not promised, so just live your life today or whatever, and you're just living for yourself. That's not freedom. You're living under the bondage of the self-nature. You're stuck. But to live for Him, where I'm not even looking at failures, mistakes, and, and, and shortcomings, I'm, I'm wrapped up in what God's doing, and I'm so alive and invested in His dream, I'm burning to run. I want to see every tribe, tongue, and nation reach for the gospel. I want to see every sphere of influence in Johannesburg reach with the gospel. I want to see those who've even heard wrong perspectives and the wrong message of the gospel, I want them to see it in my eyes. I want them to see it in my heart and my life. I want them to come and sit in a room like this and go, there's something about this people. You get it? It's like, my life is given to that. 
I want, I want to, to see it in my family. I want to see it in, in business. I want to see it in every sphere that God would place me in, that they would see Christ in me. And this is the beautiful thing is that, you know, we go like, oh, Connor, you, you, you need to preach more on sin. You need to preach more on, on you know, you can't just let people get away with stuff. It's, wow. I'm just like, I'm astounded. I'm going like, just go. Can you hear that coming out of the mouth of Jesus? Why is it coming out of the mouth of the church? Because this is what, what's, what's changed my life is the kindness of Jesus. That's what changed me. What changed me was being a 16, 17-year-old boy, broken and messed up, and everybody else had an opinion about me. And then I heard this whisper. This kind, loving whisper who spoke truth for the first time into the very core of my being. You're my son. When people would label me and had all these things that they said that I was, and then the kindness of Jesus went, you're none of those things. This is who you are. You need to see what I see. It's the kindness of Jesus that leads us to repentance. It's the love of God. Love wins. Like you can do all the impressive stuff. Can I just encourage you? Like the gifts of the Spirit. Yes, love it. Want to see it in the church. But there's the gifts of the Spirit and there's the fruits of the Spirit. And it's the fruits that represent the character of Christ. Because you can be gifted. You can operate in power. You can do all that stuff and look nothing like Jesus. And so we can have whole ministries that are impressive. We can go off and fill massive auditoriums and stadiums. And some of these things are incredible. Don't get me wrong. But sometimes we go in and it's like there's an incredible gift. I want to receive from that gift. And if I honor that gift, I'll get that gift. We have all this weird nonsense that's going on in the church. And I'm like, stop pursuing that stuff. Let's go after Jesus. Let's fall in love with Jesus. There's a man with burning fire in his eyes. And he goes, I love you. I am burning for you. I am full of zeal for you. I am more committed to your life than you will ever be to your own life. Stop running away and start running to him and watch what he does. Because he goes, I'll take your life. I'll take your little weak, frail, broken life. And I'm going to make something so beautiful. I'm going to tell my story through your life. And whether, whether your story reaches 30 people and somebody else reaches 3 million people, that's not a metric for success in the kingdom. I love this story about, you know, people say Billy Graham and all the multitudes. Yes, amazing. But I think about the guy who got Billy Graham saved. The guy who maybe shared the gospel with one person. But shares in an inheritance that is just so far beyond what he even knew what he was doing in that moment. In fact, I had heard a story recently that really moved me about um, a friend of mine. He, his grandfather was on the docks in Norway and uh, He's walking down the street and these um, missionaries are there and they're praying, they're doing street evangelism. And this girl, this young girl walks up to this man and he says, um, sir, uh, do you know anything about Jesus? Would you like to know about Jesus? I really feel in my heart that God wants to minister to you today. And so are you saved? Like Jesus can save you. And long story short, this guy completely rejects her, denies her and says, no way, absolutely not. Leave me alone. And so she walks back to her group and he walks home. And here's the story. He walks home, walks into his house and the presence of Jesus hits him. And he falls to the ground and he begins to weep. And suddenly conviction hits his heart. He realizes, what am I living my life for? I'm just wasting my life. Like, he loves me. I want to give myself to him. So what does he do? He gets born again on the floor in his house. But that young girl walked away from that experience thinking he said no. What are we measuring stuff by? 
that, that young girl just stepped out in boldness and put a seed in that man's heart that he was walking home and he's thinking about this stuff. And he's going, why would that girl do that? Why would she come up and say that to me? And what am I living my life for? And actually, what am I made for? And what's my purpose? And, you know, does anything that I've lived for count? And then suddenly the Spirit of God goes, now you're ready. Boom. <laughs> Wrecks him on the floor and he gives his life to Jesus. This is what I'm saying. Our metrics for success, chuck them out. And just look at Jesus and say, how do I follow this man well? Like David, I just want to be a lover. I just want to be someone that's so wrapped up in Jesus that's just like, I don't even know if I'm going the right direction. I'm just making decisions, but I love you, Jesus. And I know that you will steer a moving ship. And so we get so wrapped up, like, did God say, should I do this? I'm not sure if this is the right decision. I'm like, you put so much pressure on yourself, you don't even know how to hear God right now. You're so wrapped up in your decision that you're missing Him right now. Just take a hold of Him and take a step. And watch, trust Him to lead and guide you. He'll close doors, He'll open doors. He's really got this. His leadership is perfect. He really loves you. It's not just a fairy tale message. It's not a high five on a Sunday to make you feel better about yourself. This gospel changes everything. This gospel changes our hearts and lives. I'm, I'm saying this today because I... I want to make sure that at 24-7, we emphasize what he emphasizes. We live for what he paid for. We believe what he's done. And we anchor ourselves as a community in what he says matters. You get this? So many of us have had a difficult walk with the Lord because of somebody else's perspective of him that they put on me. Did you actually do the work to get into truth yourself and discover who he is and go, wow. What God's establishing in 24-7 is a grace and mercy culture that will bring transformation. And the Lord made me a promise because I said, Lord, preaching the grace of God, um, there's a lot of backlash to that and, and it just gets really difficult. And I end up being that guy at conferences, like I literally have stood up in conferences where somebody gets up and preaches the exact opposite of everything I believe. And then I'm going to stand up right after them and go, I want to talk to you about the grace of God. And it's just like you feel it in the room, it's just intense, and they keep inviting me. I'm like, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> they, they keep inviting me to these conferences. But here's the thing. I said to the Lord, I said, God, I, I don't believe anything else. This is the gospel. Like I've, it's clear. Paul is so clear on this. New Testament is so clear. I'm like, this is the gospel. I believe this with all my heart. But God, the price, like this is really difficult to, to keep preaching that. Like there's a lot of backlash. And I remember the Lord said something so beautiful to me. He said, Connor, you keep preaching this in 24-7. You keep ministering this truth. He says, and the fruit will speak louder than anything else. When people come and say, you're just justifying sin. I'm going like, wait until you see a community that's grab, grabbing a hold of grace. When grace is on a community, because you see it in Jerusalem, in the early church, grace was upon them. Then you, That's Acts chapter 4, uh, Acts chapter 11. And Barnabas arrives at Antioch, and he sees the grace of the Lord is upon them. There is something tangible about the grace of God on a community. You want to be there, because it's the, the Father's heart that's revealed. It, you come there and you go, this is where my destiny is redeemed. This is where the broken, the worst of the worst of the worst can come in and be revived and redeemed and restored, renewed, and can step into everything God's called them to do. We're not going to be a people that are impressive. We're going to be a people that are yielded, that are obedient and are doing the things of the kingdom. Amen? Well, that was session one.
I promise you I'm, I'm two, two to three minutes away from finishing. I, I just, I'm asking the Holy Spirit to help me pull this together. My Mac is over there with all my notes, but it's nothing to do with this. Holy Spirit. You don't need good sermons. Seriously, because we get good at listening to sermons. Most of us listen to them every day, podcasts, YouTube videos, whatever. You don't need more good sermons. You need a revelation of Jesus. And the beautiful thing Something the Lord said to me while I was in the Middle East is He said, kind of teaching invites, but presence transforms. You are not going to step into what I'm talking about because you heard me. But take what I'm saying as an invitation and go into the presence of Jesus and watch what He'll do. The fruit that comes from His work in us, His power at work within us, the fruit that comes from that will shock you. It will astound you. And can I just encourage you, whether you're married or you're going through relational stuff or you're even going through business tensions, you are not responsible for somebody else's response to the gospel. So many of us are living our lives holding on to somebody else's prayers and perspectives. We need to go into that place of oneness with Jesus for ourselves and go, God, do this in me. Make me like you. You're forming and shaping me. This is not about an outcome. This is not about a result. This is about Christ in me, the hope of glory. You get it? See, I'll, I'll try and wrap it up with this. This is how we become unstoppable. This is how the church becomes unstoppable, is that the outcome is not the goal. The revealing of Jesus through whatever comes my way is the goal. I'm unstoppable. It's like, if it works out, it works out. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. It's not about working out. It's about Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's about that if, if I have to suffer for Jesus, I suffer, but what you see is Christ. If I am walking in the, the manifestation of blessing of my life, that you see Christ. Because the moment that we make it about outcomes, what we reproduce is the wrong perspective of the gospel again. That's why we've got teachings now. It's like, well, actually, you know, if you're a, if you're a Christian and you're, you're living in poverty or lack, like, I'm just going, the, the whole statement is just messed up to its core. It's like, what about the guy who's called to reach people in the sticks of northern Botswana? You know what I mean? Like, why are we even using that as a metric for success? Why are we saying that, that material possession is a, is, a, is a measurement of our Christianity? Because Paul, I love in, in, it would have been great in the context of finances, um, Paul in, in Philippians, he says this, he says, I've, I've learned to live in lack, and I've learned to be in abundance, and I've found the secret to facing life. 
So the Amplified words it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's in the context of finances. It's just wild. It's like, you can't take that from me. It's like seasons come and go. Business can be booming. Business can be tough. It's not going to change who I am. It's not going to change what I'm living for. It's not, I wake up today and I'm still giving myself to the one thing. It hasn't changed. He hasn't changed. He hasn't moved. You can be in relationship difficulties. You can be in, uh, you know, you, some of you might be contending for your kid who's not saved to come or whatever. All these things that are going on, we're not measuring God based on the outcome of situations. We're just staying steadfast in the one thing. This is who Jesus is. I'm going to stay fixed on him. I'm going to do what he's called me to do. I'm going to burn for Jesus. You get that? So in 2 Corinthians 4, I love this. Paul's writing and he says, from verse 5, we do not, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves merely as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, that, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory and majesty of God, clearly revealed in the face of Christ. But we have this precious treasure, the good news about salvation, in unworthy earthen vessels of human frailty, so that the grandeur and surpassing greatness of the power will be shown to be from God, His sufficiency, and not from ourselves. We are pressured in every way, hedged in but not crushed, perplexed, unsure of finding a way out but not driven to despair, hunted down and persecuted but not deserted to stand alone, struck down but never destroyed, always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the resurrection life of Jesus also may be shown in our body. For we who live are constantly experiencing the threat of being handed over to death for Jesus' sake so that the resurrection life of Jesus may also be evidenced in our mortal body which is subject to death. So physical death is actively at work in us but spiritual life is actively at work in you. Can you listen to Paul's heart? Are you seeing what he's saying? You, it's so evident of what he's given his life to. He's like, I have something inside of me that you need to get on the inside of you. It's called his power and his sufficiency. And that's what he's given his life to. He's like, I'm perplexed. I'm crushed. I'm, there's things that are, things are coming. I'm hedged in. I'm, there's pressure. There's all these things. But, that, but he said, I'm always carrying around the dying of Jesus in my body so that the resurrection life of Jesus can be known by you. In other words, what he's saying is, in the midst of the difficulties that I'm walking, that when you look at my life, what you'd see is resurrection life. It's called being a Christian. It's beautiful. You see the, the, the poeticness of God. He's so beautiful. He's so amazing. That even in the midst of pain and difficulty, that the story of God is this fragrance that's being released through those that will give their lives to Him and live for Him. You get it? So, the potential of the church is this. We are not scattered stones in a city. We are not a bunch of you know, individuals that gather together once a week and hope that we kind of look like half a sandcastle. Your life right now is a living stone that God has placed into His body. He's building a dwelling place for Him that's not just about good services. It's about becoming a people that will walk in the full potential of God expressed through the church, His dream awakened in us and through us so that others can taste and see who He really is. It's where we become a people who are not just proclaiming the gospel, we are demonstrating the gospel. And as we demonstrate the gospel in the way we live our lives, many, and I'm talking multitudes of lost sons and daughters, are going to come home to a father who has a son, who has a bride, there's a family, and everybody gets welcomed into the kingdom, and we become the hands and feet, the arms, they get to hug them and say, welcome home. 
See, we are living in a day where humanity is as broken as it gets. It's just messed up and twisted. And yet the church wants to protect herself from that instead of realizing we are the ones who are supposed to be bringing the good news of the gospel to that brokenness and saying, come home. When you come here, you find hope. When you come here, you find His righteousness. When you come here, you find forgiveness. When you come here, you find mercy. And I'm not responsible for anybody else's yes to Jesus, only my own. Right? So if I know that my job is to steward my yes to Jesus, and I'll end with this. I've said that three times. I'll end with this. You need to guard your yes and guard your no. Some of you are spending your emotional capacity, mental capacity, uh, even financially, even your relational stuff, you're, you're, you're actually investing things out of presumption without hearing the voice of God. And you're exhausted, your heart is tired, your soul is tired, and you're struggling to receive from heaven. And so we've got to make decisions and say, if he has my yes, it means he also governs my no. God, what are you asking me to say no to? What have you asked me to say yes to? Because the thing is, what he says, what he asks you to say yes to, there's a couple of non-negotiables. Like assignments and things shift and change. He'll ask you to say yes to this. Then he'll say, okay, that's finished. Next thing. But when it comes to being a part of the family of God, when it comes to spending time with him, when it comes to good stewardship, when it comes to, these are non-negotiables of what you said yes to by becoming a born-again believer. So it's good for us to reassess those things and go like, am I stewarding my yes and my no well? Does that make sense? So maybe you're sitting here like, Connor, what did you preach on today? I have no idea. Good luck to Luke for putting a title to this. Really, I'm just speaking to your heart and I'm saying the gospel is so real, so powerful. God's calling us to walk in this right now as a family. And um, if you come back next week, I'll do a better job at um, talking on supernatural finances. But when, when we started the service this, this morning, I was just looking at all of you and I was just saying, okay, Jesus, what's happening? Like, what are you saying? You love these people. and um, That was really stirring in my heart this morning, just going, okay, if Jesus was to get up and stand here this morning, what would he say? Like, what would he say to you? You know, And it turns out it wasn't supernatural finances. He's got that. But uh, it's almost like what I'm feeling in my heart this morning is just how deeply, how deeply he loves you. Like he is, he will war for your heart. He is in a fierce pursuit of your heart and he will not stop until he has you. There's a reason heaven tarries. But heaven can't hold Jesus back forever. He is so passionately in love with his bride. But I just feel the urgency of the Holy Spirit where he's like, I love my people. I love my church. I love their hearts. He wants to fill you. He wants to refresh you. He wants to equip you. He wants to set you on fire. He wants to do what only he can do. And he's just looking for a yielded yes. Amen. Will you stand with me this morning? If any of you are upset with me and you disagree with me, you can email me at Damien at 247.
be a pastor, they said. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. It's the greatest joy. Um, it honestly is a joy. And it's a joy just because um, I, I get to do life with you guys and, and, well, most of you. And obviously it gets to a place where we have to keep reproducing more leaders and teams. But yesterday we had the privilege of just being together as men and talking about a very, very real subject, you know. And what moved my heart was just sitting there and talking and going like, listen to all of these guys who love each other, they're investing in each other, they're encouraging each other, and they're honest and they're transparent, but they're all here because they deeply love Jesus. And we're in pursuit of Him. And nobody's disqualified because of their journey. Nobody's like feeling like, oh, I shouldn't say. It's like we're in this together. We're going to hold each other up. Jesse mentioned it earlier. When we're, when we're locked in, when one drops, two picks them up. It's, it's the beauty of the church. And so I just want you guys to know that it's an absolute privilege and honor that we get to do this together. Um, and I deeply love you. Whether it's your first time at 24-7 or whether you've been here for years, it's a joy that we get to do this. So let's ask the Holy Spirit to come and do something with what I've said and work in our hearts. Um, Lord, I, I welcome you. You're already here, but I just welcome you by turning my affection towards you right now. And I just want to say thank you, Lord. God, I don't know what, what you just did with words, but I ask that you would take those words and minister to our hearts deeply this morning. I ask that you'd bring healing. I ask that you'd bring freedom. Lord, if there's things that we've been holding on to that's not you, if there's things that we've been holding on to and you've been saying, I'm asking you to let it go, we, we release it and we let it go, Lord. And we just want to keep our eyes on you. We want to be yours. We want to be your bride. We want to love you and follow you and know you. And so right now I ask, Lord, if there's anything that I've said today that's not in your heart, Lord, I ask that it would be forgotten. But Jesus, your gospel, the truth of your word, I, I ask, Lord, that it would pierce to our inner, inner man, our inner being, and bring truth and fruit and transformation that the fragrance of Jesus would be released from our lives. And if we're here today, Lord, and we have not been following you, Lord, I thank you that we can just simply surrender, yield to your lordship and your leadership, believe in you and follow you, God. And so thank you that the blood of Jesus washes us and cleanses us, that the gospel redeems, sets free and transforms. Lord, that it's your joy to give your Holy Spirit. And so we receive you. From the youngest to the oldest in this room, we pray, Lord Jesus, make 24-7 a beautiful example of your dream. God, I ask that you will build this house. I pray that you'll give every one of us opportunities this week to share the gospel with people, to bring people into family. God, that you will build your house and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so, Jesus, we're ready to see the multitudes come to know you, but we ask, Lord, start right here today in our hearts. Fill us with your gospel, we pray. We love you. We bless you, we worship you, we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer for anything, please, our team would love to pray for you. Um, you're welcome to stay and have some coffee and just fellowship. Uh, we will see you, we'll see students on Tuesday night. We'll see our home groups on Wednesday.